don't go so close to the edge, my mom would say. She'd say, if you go that close to the edge, you might slip. If you slip, eh, you might fall. If you fall, you will die. Don't go so close to the edge. Oftentimes, this was on a hiking trip, maybe a camping trip. She'd say, why do you flirt with danger so close to the edge? You're giving me a heart attack. Moms, any moms in the room be able to relate to this story? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what? What happens, what goes around comes around. They say this. I, as a dad, um, I almost lost my faith one time on the south rim of the Grand Canyon with my kids right there next to the edge. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. Dad's in the room. Help me. As soon as mom's back was turned, what did I do? I went to the edge, right? I went right up to the edge, maybe hung my toes out over, looked down over the edge. Sometimes I would spit, and I would count the seconds it would take before it hit the ground. Splat. Don't go so close to the edge. It's been a while since high school physics class. But what I remember, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, is the rate of acceleration to terminal velocity is 9.8 meters per second per second. It really doesn't matter because if you go to the edge and you fall off, well, my mom would put it this way, when you hit the ground, that's terminal and velocity stops. <laughs> Don't go to the edge. Don't believe me? Watch this video. All right, so that video gives me pause. <laughs> Anybody else want to go hiking, want to go camping, want to go right up next to the edge? You know, the uh, natural law of gravity is actually pretty important, isn't it? I mean, without the natural laws of gravity, we would just be floating around out in outer space. It's pretty important. So. Why have we spent the last 150 years of aviation history trying to break the natural laws of gravity? I don't know. I kind of like being able to get on a plane and four hours later be in L.A. I kind of like that freedom that it provides. Why do you break God's moral laws? You do. I know you do. The Bible is clear that you do in that beautiful Roman road. The wages of sin is death, right? All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. I know that you flirt with the edge. The Bible is clear that you do. I do. Not just come up to the edge, but sometimes... I mean, we'll even flirt with the danger. We'll lean way out. We'll flirt with destruction, that sin, that habit that you can't quite seem to kick. And you go back to time and time 
and time again. I mean, the natural laws of gravity, well, 9.8 meters per second per second, right? Until you bounce off of terra firma. Splat. In this analogy, the rope represents God's grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. Why do we push the limits? You know, I don't want to be too cute with this analogy. I don't want to at all be guilty of cheapening God's grace. But if the rope represents his grace... Well, we've got some work to wrestle through together today. Welcome to week three of this series, Recovering Pharisees Like Me. We've just recognized the truth through this series that if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you might be a recovering Pharisee. It's kind of hardwired into us, right? Today. The title of today's message is Chasing Grace, and that's exactly what I want to do. I want to chase grace through this whole sermon. Actually, it would be my prayer that you would spend the entire week thinking about this, chewing on this, chasing God's amazing, amazing grace. The question we're asking is, how do we respond to the doctrine of grace? When we see our sin for what it is, accelerating toward earth, 9.8 meters per second per second, splat, we deserve the wages of sin and the penalty of sin is death. When we see our sin for what it is, when we see God's grace for what it is, well, the first step is simply gratitude. So before we go any further in this message, could we simply pause? Could we take a moment as children? Let's not be spoiled children. God's kids, let's take a moment and simply show him some gratitude. When you came in today, you probably noticed your communion elements were sitting on the seat. Would you grab those and pull those out right now? While you're doing that, I saw some of you, I saw it in your eyeballs when I was leaning out over the edge a minute ago. That, that bothered some of you. And rightfully so. If you're afraid of heights, I think that's only about three feet. I could probably jump off the edge and be just fine. But some of you, that that kind of bothered you just a little bit. Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, fear of falling, that's a very legitimate fear. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time that you were bothered by your own sin? I mean, really. When's the last time, especially that repetitive, habitual sin, when's the last time that it gave you some angst, at least as much as your preacher leaning out over a three-foot stage? When's the last time? Could I encourage you that this is a brilliant time right now? The first step is to show some gratitude. Would you, I'm going to get you started here in a minute. I'm going to start the prayer. And I'm going to finish the prayer, but in the middle, that's between you and God. Would you simply confess your sins? He is faithful and just to forgive you. He says, you're forgiven. You confess them and let his grace wash over you. Would you bow your heads with me? When you're ready, 
You go ahead and take the communion elements and receive his grace, receive his mercy. Let's get started. Dear Lord, we confess right now confess our sins and as the Bible says you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins Hmm. even though we don't deserve it we're grateful Lord even as the sweet taste of those communion elements that juice that represents your blood shed for us that sweet taste of grape juice is still on our tongues we're reminded of the sweetness of your grace your mercy, your forgiveness. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name, we say thank you. Amen. So if the rope represents grace, what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have together, after the first things being first, the first step is, in fact, gratitude. We've just leaned into that moment. Can I make this statement? Grace needs balance. If we're going to talk about the doctrine of grace today, could I simply encourage you that grace needs a bit of balance? So maybe think of this rope kind of like you would think about a tightrope. Anybody own a slack line? Ever play on one of those? You stretch it between two trees and you try to keep your balance and then your legs get a little wobbly and Nine times out of ten, rarely can I make it all the way across that. I'll follow off somewhere in the middle, either one direction or the other. Grace, the doctrine of grace, what we want to study today, it needs balance. You don't want to fall off one side or the other. Now, I'm guessing if you're wired anything like me, you have a propensity to fall off either to one side or the other time and time again. Let me say it this way. The grace-filled life needs a balance-led lifestyle. I want to call you today into a lifestyle of grace that is balance-led. And I want to point out to you, if I can, the two polar opposites, the two polar extremes. We've been talking about Pharisees the last several weeks, and we will for the next couple of weeks. The Pharisees, almost every time, when they fell off of this balance beam, They fell this direction. I want to talk about this category over here first, and then we're going to spend some time exploring the other extreme. The Pharisees, you know, I've been talking about this each week. There actually are 12 steps for recovering Pharisees. Hi, my name is Stan, and I am a recovering Pharisee. There is a 12-step declaration process that should you choose to go down this road, you could do this yourself. The first step is admitting that you have a problem. Let me just share with you a few of these 12 steps. 
Number one, we admit that our single most unmitigated pleasure, we find some pleasure in this, is to judge other people. I saw what you did. I saw what you didn't do. Shouldn't you be doing this? Shouldn't you be doing that? Wouldn't Jesus want you or desire you to do this? Look at me. I'm over here. I've earned a gold star. I'm a good little boy. I'm a good little girl. Shouldn't you be this way as well? Step one is admitting that we have a problem. When the Pharisees fell off of this tightrope, they fell this direction into judging. Second step. 12 steps for a recovering Pharisee like me. Uh, We've come to believe that our means of obtaining greatness is to make everybody else lower than ourselves in our own mind. Look at me. I've earned the gold star. I've done the right things and I've not done the wrong things. Look at me. Step three. Realize that we detest mercy being given to those who, unlike us, haven't worked for it and don't deserve it. Now, you need to read that two or three times. By the way, these are listed for you in your sermon notes in the app. You might go there. I'm not going to go through all of them today, but I would encourage you sometime this week to work through all 12 of these and see where you're at on the journey. We realize that we detest mercy being given to those who, unlike us, they haven't worked for it. We've done the hard work. We've earned the gold star. They don't deserve it. So if we're describing this side of the tightrope of grace, the balance that we're called to walk, when we fall off this side, we fall into a good company with the Pharisees. Let me say it this way. Grace out of balance over here, well, we're going to call it legalism. Legalism. We follow the law to the nth degree. Step number four have decided that we don't want to get what we deserve, we begin to see a corner turned here. This is good movement, actually, of the heart. We don't want to get what we deserve, after all, and we don't want anybody else to get it either. Listen, if I'm going to go into free fall 9.8 meters per second per second and I go splat, I get what I deserve because I was flirting with disaster, my sin. I don't really want to get what I deserve, and I don't want you to get it either. This is good movement of the heart. Number five, we'll cease all attempts to apply teaching and rebuke to anyone but ourselves. Number six, are ready to have God remove all these defects of attitude and character. God, I'm ready for some heart change in this area. Would you come in and do some work in me? I've fallen out of balance in my life. Let's see you do your works in my heart. Number seven, embrace the belief that we are and always will be experts at sinning. One of Jesus' favorite descriptions of the Pharisees. When he spoke to them, he would refer to them as experts in the law. They were very proud of their gold stars that they had earned. They had the entire law, the Old Testament Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized, and they could quote it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then they just keep going and going and going, and they could recite the entire thing. They had earned a gold star, right? God, look how righteous I am. I'm doing well. Would you pat me on the head and call me a good boy? But what they didn't recognize They were experts at the law, but they did not recognize or acknowledge that they were also experts at sinning. And that separates them from God. And you need to recognize this. Grace out of balance is legalism. 
When you fall off of that tightrope this direction, you're falling smack dab into legalism. You're in good company. There are some folks, we talked about this last week, who were rescued, who got out of this trap of legalism, grace out of balance. We listed several last week, including the Apostle Paul. He wrote the good chunk of your New Testament scriptures. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, and by the way, he struggled with legalism. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus radically saved him. He got back into balance this idea of grace in his life, and he spent the rest of his life advocating well for a balance of grace. You could read through all of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament and just see this leaking through. It's a pretty cool study. He struggled with legalism. He cautioned his readers against legalism. You can see him share his resume in Philippians chapter 3. It's almost like it just starts spilling out of him, like he was used to reciting his resume. Check it out. He says here, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I love that word. It's either 16 or 18 times in the book of Philippians, those four short chapters. I'm not sure. I can't remember. 16 or 18. He uses that word rejoice. He's writing from a Roman jail cell. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I have your best interest in mind. So he says, watch out. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Who's he talking about? A group of people who said, listen, if you want to be saved, then you need Jesus and fill in the blank. His arch nemesis. This group of people, they were the Pharisees 2.0. They were called the Judaizers. We talked about them last week. This is strong language that Paul is using here. What's the mutilators? What kind of flesh are they mutilizing? Circumcision. These are dudes that show up after Paul has just preached the gospel. The dust is rarely, it's, it's not even settled on the ground yet after he's left town. And these guys show up and they're standing outside the baptistry. A 30-year-old dude is baptized and they're out there with a knife. Well, it's great that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but have you been circumcised yet? Can you imagine being that guy? Get away from me with that knife. Be wary of anybody who says you need Jesus and. In other words, step one, follow Jesus. Step two, follow my rules, my regulations. The Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of them, 613 rules my last count. Some of them are God's moral laws. Some of them are just religious rules. By the way, you can't touch a dead animal. That's one of them. You can't touch a pig is another one, which puts the entire Super Bowl into serious jeopardy. Legalism. You need Jesus and Paul goes on with his resume. Check this out. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, 4. It is we who are the circumcision. That's strong language. Elsewhere he talks about, has your heart been circumcised? Let's talk about that. Have you put your heart under the lordship of Jesus Christ? A lifestyle of worship. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, in the things we do for God, Though I myself, I have reasons for confidence, and it's almost like he just, it just spills out of him. He's used to reciting this. This is who I am. This is my resume. Check this out. 
If anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here you go. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I come from the right family. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, I really come from the right family. A Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. This group of people who over the last 150 years before Jesus shows up, through religious power and political power, well, they have come to power and they're imposing laws. It's Jesus and, and he goes on and says, as for zeal, uh, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, look at me, look at my gold stars, what I have amassed, I'm faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of grace, for whose sake I have lost all of this stuff. All of this over here, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, that I can swim in his grace, that I can be found in him, I can have grace up to my eyeballs. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, I didn't earn grace, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want grace in my life and all this stuff that I used to be proud of. It doesn't matter to a hill of beans. Paul, Paul escaped legalism. He escaped the Pharisees. You could too. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, those gold stars that you want to earn. That doesn't earn you salvation. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. I love the way he puts this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So, then the law was our guardian until Christ came. That word guardian can also mean tutor. The Old Testament was tutoring us, was teaching us, was guarding us even, pointing us to the truth that you can't keep all 613 laws. Your righteousness fails. That system doesn't work. Actually, in the Old Testament, part of the process was you would go several times a year, the Day of Atonement, for example, and you would confess your sins and you would, you would offer blood sacrifice to cover over. Atoning, atonement means a covering over. You'd say, I'm sorry. You repent, and then you go back to discovering you cannot keep all 613 of those laws. You just simply can't do it. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We all have access here. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. This is one of the verses we started with. All fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. Those of us over here who think we can earn our way to salvation, we have the opportunity through grace to get to God. Those of us over here, and I don't want to spoiler this. We'll talk about this side here in a minute. We all have access to God through grace. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a covering over. Jesus fulfills that old system. Let's contemporize this. 
Jesus and is an old system. Better put, it's a fulfilled system. The work is finished at the cross of Christ. So why? Why are we still over here, this side of that tightrope balance? Why are we over here trying to earn our way into his good graces? I said this last week. It's worth saying again. Nobody liked the Pharisees, these guys hanging out over here. In Jesus' day, nobody liked them. Well, what about today? Nobody likes people who are pharisaical. You're one. You have one life to invest. Who's the one life you're investing in? You're one. doesn't like it when you say, listen, you got to do this. You can't do this. We've got to judge you based on what you do and don't do. Pharisaical, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This side of the balance of grace. Nobody liked the Pharisees. Nobody likes the Pharisees. Do you remember the old Jeff Foxworthy jokes? You might be a Pharisee. If you constantly seek to earn God's grace, you might be a Pharisee. If you're proud of those gold stars and you want to stack them up. If you struggle with the plank speck principle, We talked about this week one. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, why are you worried about the speck in your brother's eye? Why are you judging them for that when there's a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye? Stop it. If that's you, if you struggle with the plank speck principle, you might be a Pharisee. If you find yourself pointing fingers at other people's faults, you might be a Pharisee. If I'm describing you, could I challenge you today? Chase grace. Chase it for yourself first. And chase it for everybody else. You want them to have grace as well. And could I encourage you, if you're walking this tightrope and typically you fall over into this side with the Pharisees, into the trap of legalism, could I encourage you, when you fall, try to fall into grace. If you find yourself typically falling this way, maybe try to fall this way. Balance it out just a bit. If you don't know who you are, Which side of this tightrope wire you fall on? Let me ask you this question. Do you think that there are going to be more, or do you think that there are going to be less people in heaven? Do you think there will be more, or do you think there will be less? Depending on how you answer that question probably reveals which camp you live in. If you think that there are going to be more people in heaven, you're probably over here. And might I encourage you, this side of grace, there might be less than you think. But if you're hanging out over here with the Pharisees and you think that there are going to be less people in heaven, it's going to be a pretty lonely place because nobody can live up to my system of right and wrongs and do's and don'ts. There's going to be not many people there. Can I challenge you? There probably will be more than you think. Why? Because if you live over here, let me challenge you with this. God's grace is wider than you think it is. It's wider. This rope, I looked it up, is 9.9 millimeters wide. Some of us who struggle with legalism, well, a legalist would say, this is all you can trust. 
this skinny little rope. That's how, how big God's grace is. A legalist would say, I have to go the distance with my good works. A legalist would say, if it is to be, it's up to me. And I would challenge you with this, God's grace is wider than you think it is. Grace is not a tightrope. Let me switch that metaphor around. It's not a tightrope. It's a lifestyle. Could I encourage you that God's grace, it's not 9.9 millimeters wide. It's at least 9.9 inches wide. It's wider than you think it is. God's grace is big enough that you can soak in it. You can dance in it. You can swim in it up to your eyeballs. Are you? If you live over here most of the time, could I encourage you, God's grace is bigger than you think it is. I know what you're saying. Can't you take this to the extreme the other direction as well? Yeah, you can. We're talking about the Pharisees during this series, so we're mostly focusing on this over here. But for some of us, I would challenge you, if you're hanging out in the extreme side over here, there's a problem with your balance in grace as well. If you're trying to get right up to the edge, and like we were talking about earlier, you're kind of flirting with the edge, and, well, you're asking the wrong question if you're asking, how far can I go before it's too far? If that's you, you're like a kid in the candy store whose dad has said, I love you, son, here's a sucker. And you say, well, if he's going to give me a sucker, what about this box of Juju's over here? Do they still sell those? I want some Twizzlers as well. I want a bit of honey. That's pretty good. How about this old box of Snickers? That's my favorite candy bar. And we walk back to Dad, and we've got just sugar dripping off our face. That's not grace. It was a free gift. He said, here's a sucker, and we took more than he was offering. Here's what I'm calling it. Grace out of balance on this side is antinomianism. You don't need to remember that. That's a big old fancy word. Honestly, I was just trying to balance it out. If this side is legalism, what's the opposite of legalism? Well, technically, it's called antinomianism, which is actually a word from the Latin. It means against the law. If you're all about living according to the law over here, here, you're all about breaking the law. I want more of that grace. I'm just going to take it for granted. It's the teaching that since Jesus fulfilled the law, we have no law to follow. We're free to do whatever we want to do. To put it in layman's terms, let's call it what it is. This is taking advantage of God's grace. If you're over here, you're out of balance. Legalism is the opposite, and it teaches that to be saved, we need to receive Jesus as our Savior, and we need to keep the law. Whose law? Well, the law that I described. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. A legalist might even invent new laws for believers to keep. Paul pushes back strongly at that. By the way, if you struggle with this over here, could I encourage you, you ought to read the book of Galatians. This week, read the book of Galatians. And repent. If you're struggling over here, you're taking advantage of God's grace, could I encourage you, you ought to read the entire book of Romans. There's some good stuff to wrestle through in Romans over here. Paul pushes back strong. 
in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Hold on to that thought. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will have be of no value to you at all. That's strong language. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, if you think that you're going to do these good works and that's going to somehow earn your way to heaven, you've missed the point. He's obligated to obey the whole law. See if you can do the whole thing then. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and the grace that he freely offers. That's strong language. You've fallen away from grace. Don't live over here. Paul says trying to be justified by the law is to be severed from Christ. That is such strong language. Listen, over here we talked about this week one. A Christian, a Christian might not drink alcohol because of the damage that it has caused in their life. I respect that decision. Or maybe the damage that it's caused in a loved one's life. Or maybe you know you have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism. I get it. Those are all wise reasons to make that decision. But over here, we would carry it to the next step and we would say, hey, listen, no true Christian would ever drink alcohol. Well, that's to put a restriction in place. To, let's be honest. God didn't put that restriction in place. On the other hand, over here, antinomianism. This is taking advantage of God's grace. We're saying over here that since Jesus fulfilled the law, well, then we no longer have to obey it. Hear me. As Christians, we still sin. But we should no longer enjoy it. And we should consider ourselves dead to it. Paul speaks about this strongly in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? An increase? By no means. Emphatically, he says, no, stop it, cut it out. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I love the symbolism. The next time you watch a baptism, think about this verse. We're buried with Christ. We rise and walk in a brand new life. We were buried through him, baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then it goes on. And it says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So that... We should no longer be slaves to sin. Listen, if you're struggling over here on this side of that balance beam, let's talk about your sin. Do you master it, the slave language we just read there, or does it own you? The text goes on. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, for we know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin no longer should be your master, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Skip down to verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God instead, pushing back on taking advantage or cheapening his grace, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the other verse we started with. Let me put it this way. For me... When I asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life, my eternal life began in the baptistry. Not one of these days when I die in the sweet by and by, but my eternal life began the moment I asked Jesus to be Lord and my Savior and I was baptized into Christ. That's when my eternity began. Let me show you these pictures. There's baptistries actually all over the Holy Land. These happen to be right outside the temple. In the Old Testament, in the old system, they were called mikvahs. They were there for ritual cleansing, a ritual bath before you go into the temple. In my opinion, you're looking at the location where Peter stood up, preached on the day of Pentecost. The church is birthed with 3,000 baptisms. It was a mass baptism. There were some Pharisees in the form of the Sanhedrin that were watching that speech. That sermon, that mass baptism, in my opinion, they were probably standing right up here watching the whole thing, watching people's eternity begin. By the way, I mentioned this last week. I'd mention it, it, it again. We're going to be doing a study tour next summer. If you want to join in on walking these spaces and, and literally getting to be into this space where the church is birthed and see all these incredible places that Jesus walked, if you want to know more about that, Don and I will be hanging out right in front of the baptistry, our baptistry over here. When the service is done, we'd love to tell you more about that opportunity that's coming up. But this is so cool. This is why the doctrine of grace is so important. The grace life is enjoyable. Those Pharisees that were watching that moment, they, they missed the point. And those people that are taking advantage of God's grace, swimming in it too much and saying, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to commit to sin and just kind of live in that, they have missed the point as well. Let me challenge you with this. If you find yourself struggling on one side of one extreme or the other, can I just encourage you to chase the balanced grace life? This is what it could maybe even should look like. Paul speaks his thesis statement. Romans has, I believe, 16 chapters. Chapter 12, he, gives, he gets to the point. And then like any good preacher, he preaches for another four chapters after that moment. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's grace, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, your spiritual act of worship. You're supposed to be living in grace, not the law, not taking advantage of his grace. But this is a worship thing. We're going to respond with worship here in a moment. And I would encourage you to double down. Are you offering your bodies as a living sacrifice? You know the problem with a living sacrifice, it tends to want to climb down off of the altar. 
He's saying, I want you to walk around in a lifestyle of grace. You're going to offer all you do for him as an act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, if grace is balanced, you view the world differently. A lifestyle of grace to be transformed, you see the world differently. Would you stand up with me? We're going to respond with grace. And could I invite you, even as we sing and as we pray here in a moment, just to ask yourself, which side of this equation do you live on? Where are you out of balance, over here or over here? And then commit. Commit to living more in the middle. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me?